Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. Hi everyone, my name is C, I use they them pronouns, and I play Oka Hien, Asamar blood hunter and monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V Noct Shurzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include romance, flirting, familial trauma, fantasy violence, blood and bloodletting, imprisonment, and physical restraints. Arc 4, Episode 3. Despite Exile, Tyranny, Deprivation. From Fall by Nehru's. Once upon a time, there was a girl. She grew up in the capital, a city filled with magic, ambition, and wonder. Her parents were scholars, and every month, They journeyed into the palace in the heart of the city to plunge its libraries, share theories, and learn as much as they could about the mysteries of the multiverse. The girl, too, wanted to learn. So her parents took her to a royal diviner and asked him who she should become. And he said, Dream Prophet. And her parents were astounded. And her parents were happy and her parents were sad. The girl put all her things inside a satchel, and she moved into the palace, and she only saw her parents eight times a year, and some years less than that. Every night, she saw her parents' faces in her dreams, but soon the dreams changed, and she saw other things. Marriages, accidents, disputes, even deaths, She told of these things to the Dream Prophet, and the Dream Prophet looked at her with worship, and everything she saw came to pass. The other children in the palace worshipped her too, 
but they also feared her, and they were jealous. She was special, and that took something from them. So she was alone, and every night she sat in the windowsill of her room, and she looked up at the stars without anyone to share them with. Until one day, the girl met a prince. The prince grew up in the palace, and they had three sisters and a loving mother. The prince was not very much like a prince at all. They brawled with the other princes. They hated the artifice of royal life. They liked to say things that made the girl's tail stand on end. But they were kind to her. They listened to her, not just to her dreams, but to her. And every night, the prince threw rocks at her window until she let them in. And they sat in the sill together, talking until Galtanger rose and the stars didn't feel so empty anymore. The daughter of heaven herself saw that their love was true before they knew it themselves, and she engaged them to be married. And for a short time, the girl was happy. And then one night, the prince snuck out of the palace and they never came back. And that was the first of three calamities that the girl would not foresee. And the girl wept, for the love of her life was gone from her forever. And a year later, the daughter of heaven engaged her to another prince who was far better at being a prince, but far worse at listening. And every night, for seven years, the girl sat in the windowsill of her room, and she looked up at the stars. Oka, Dokao is exactly how you remember. Noisy, busy, filled with smells. Through the gaps in the latticed window, you glimpse market stalls brimming with fish and greens, children running toothily through alleyways, the wooden doors of homes painted red to invite good fortune. Smoke rises from chimneys, the doors of residential courtyards yawning open, dogs and chickens and mules and cats nickering through the streets. The palanquin you're inside rolls through the capital city of the kingdom of Tulong. Oceans and oceans of people parked deferentially, their eyes lingering on the royal make of the roof, the fringe, the rails of this palanquin. Queen Moore's flesh constructs, you know now, silently bear this palanquin through the dirt-paved streets until finally the massive blue walls of the slumbering palace rise like ocean waves before you. The silver parapets wink brightly in the light of the sunless sky, guarded by royal soldiers gripping shortbows, crossbows, lances, and spears. The palanquin eventually rolls to a stop at the front gates of the palace. And you can see through the latticework of the window the gates resembling the open maw of an azure dragon. And you know that the walls surrounding the entire massive palatial complex represent the dragon's long, powerful body, and the parapets represent the spikes on its spine. There's a brief pause as the Prince of Knives atop their obsidian steed, flashes a scroll at the gate. 
And then, without even checking the contents of this palanquin, four guards on each side of the door, making eight people total, pull on these heavy chains, heaving the doors open just wide enough to admit the palanquin. The Prince of Knives leads your procession through the gates, and for the first time in seven years, Oka, you're home. Peeking through the wooden lattice, you see rose bushes, rock gardens, broad-shouldered buildings with purlins curling up toward the sky, glazed roofs of ceramic tile. You see people, too. Efficients and nobles, royal servants and groundskeepers, strolling over bridges, tending to hedges like the world hasn't ended already. A couple of these people look curiously at the palanquin, their gazes lingering on the house colors of the royal and powerful Moor family, but none intercede, none are so foolish as to do so. Nothing about Dokao or the palace betrays the presence of a cataclysm. No lines of hungry, displaced people, no giant craters, no collapsed buildings. Nothing. Save for the lack of a sun in a darkening sky. The palanquin passes under a circular archway with you in it, and the procession enters a quieter part of the main courtyard of the slumbering palace. Here, the flowers grow kind of wild and more untamed than in other courtyards, and you see a gnarled hawthorn tree dominating the center of this garden. The tree looks like it was cut down, a number of years ago, but a smaller, more twisted trunk grows from the stump of the former, life persisting in the wake of death. And the thick, tangled branches of this hawthorn tree shield much of the courtyard from the eagle eyes of nearby guards. Oka, what do you do? Oka has been almost playing a game with themselves, where they'll feel their heartbeat like, and the like blood start to like rush in their ears as soon as they enter Dokao, like even miles out from it, their heartbeat would just like And they've been playing this little game to see how fast it can go and how far they can fall into the panic before they hook their fingers into the tether of the weave and force their heartbeat back down this little exercise of blood magic, up and down, like the long, slow breaths of a beast. And this is what they have been doing for the entire ride through Dokao, just trying so hard not to look out through the lattices, trying so hard not to know where they are, what kind of jaw they just stepped through as soon as they go through the palace gates. Very nice. Take some inspiration. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll be taking that. I think I need it. So as you go through this courtyard and the palanquin starts to pass under the shade of this hawthorn tree, you can smell these berries, these autumn berries. You can smell the sweetness wafting through the window. You can hear the nickering of the Prince of Knives' horse. You can hear like the hooves sort of crunching over these golden autumnal leaves that have scattered on the ground. And you know, this is it. This is the courtyard where you and the prince have decided that's where you're going to quote-unquote break out without them being able to stop you. What do you do? There's a lo like a long stretch of silence where maybe it almost seems like Oka has forgotten and they're like starting to almost, like they're almost out from under the shade of the tree. 
And inside the palanquin, Oka pauses. They touch their chest. I'm coming, Mom. I'll be right there. And they fucking break out the top. Just wings out, tearing through just an explosion of power out through the top of the palanquin. There's like a massive splintering and crunching and groaning noise as the roof of the palanquin explodes in just like a storm, a shower of wood and these beautiful like painted adornments of Queen Mwagwilin's per- like personal like litter of palanquin and she bursts out like a freaking avenging angel, right? Your wings, which used to be ghostly, now taken grotesque organic form ripping out of the back uh, of your shoulder blades and like sprawling wide open on either side. Um, the horse that the Prince of Knives is on nickers and sort of bucks a little bit in fear. Uh, and each of the four flesh constructs that are like guiding the palanquin draw to a sudden terrible halt. And the Prince of Knives turns around and you almost can see, like you imagine you can see their eyes widening, right? And like fake shock underneath that like operatic mask they have on. I think that we had agreed that there would be like a soft spot in the roof, which is why Oka's able to just like bust out of it. But they were supposed to like sneak out and jump into the tree, but they're not. They have blown it fucking open and they're just like getting as high as they can, as fast as they can. Uh, because those constructs, baby, they, they can't fly, and I can. Okay, this was not part of the deal. Uh, the prince was expecting you to escape stealthily, and when this happens, they go, what do you, what do you think you're doing? Get out of here. Oh yeah, I'm out of here. Wait, hold on, I need my sword. Oops. <laughs> I think they burst out the top and they take like two steps over the top of the palanquin and like dive for the side of the Prince of Knives' horse. And I'm gonna try to grab Dream Hunter off the side where I saw it tied. Yeah, they purposefully like tied it looser this time and it just comes out. They make like a, a delayed swipe for you, but you know, they're like pretending, right? They like swipe for you that like like lean over the side of the saddle, like the leather of the saddle creaking, the reins flashing uh, through the through the light filtering in through the gaps of these branches. Uh, and you you grab Dream Hunter, uh, you, you, you tear it loose from the side of the Prince of Knives' steed and you, where are you headed? They like swoop down, grab it, and then they kind of like, almost like, like take two steps running, but they're not even touching the ground until they just shoot upward toward one of the like bigger um, temples. And I am looking for my mother's window. First, I need you to make a deck save. Now that just doesn't seem fair at all. Fuck you, natural 20, baby! Get fucked! <laughs> wow. Telling your GM to get fucked. I see. Those are the rancid vibes we're bringing into the session today. I see. The nat 20 speaks the truth. What can I say? You sort of like almost corkscrew out of the way. Like your, your wings like like curling around you as like, I think your ears, your drow like ears, like like peel against your skull and like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up as you feel something approach with massive speed underneath and behind you. And one of the arms from the flesh construct had like elongated, almost like sludge and shot out to try to grab you, but you were able to twist out of the way like just in time. (laughs) Right, of all of these like whoosh, 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 like shooting, like pummeling, punching arms. Uh, you crash through the branches of the hawthorn tree, little berries, little red berries like littering on the ground around you, branches crashing onto the ground, like leaves fluttering all akimbo, and then you break through the canopy and you shoot into the air like a bottle rocket. 
So you're trying to find you're trying to find your mom's house in the middle of this huge palatial complex. You soar up into the air and you look down and you see all of the slumbering palace laid out, sprawled out below you like a bad dream. You see the various noble courtyards, each like a uh, spouse of the emperor has their own section of the slumbering palace that's like the size of a freaking mansion or like a country estate right the slumbering palace itself is massive it's like several miles big like this this is a huge palatial complex and i think you're kind of disoriented it's been seven years oka i need you to make a survival check to see if you can head toward the right cluster of buildings here 13 you head toward a cluster of buildings that you're pretty sure is where your your mom's at. You're like, yeah, I'm like 99% sure that's it. Um, because I think you obviously would still know like the general quadrant that you grew up in. And unless things have radically shifted and your mom's like moved places, that's probably where she'd be. So I think, what does it look like as you like soar toward it? They actually fly up as far as they can uh, because the, 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 the hands, I think not. I'm not having any more of that. No, thank you. None for me. And to get, also get out of reach of, uh, I'm fairly certain there are also going to be arrows flying at me in like T minus five seconds, probably. Uh, so getting up high uh, and then just like every ounce of power that they have, every ounce of energy is going into moving as fast as they can toward where they want to go. Boof. Oof, the air around your wings uh, vibrates as you like flap them once and twice because your wings have to be huge to like be able to carry a person without hollow bones, right? So like the air vibrates around you and you, you shoot toward that quadrant uh, where you're like almost certain is where your mom is. And as you like start to like jet down, like back to like ground level or just, just above tree level probably, like you like flip past these like rock gardens, these silvery winking streams um, that are starting to sort of like go dark uh, as the light starts to seep away from the sky, as evening starts to roll in uh, like a threat, uh, and you're you fly and you flap and you soar and you glide over rock gardens, over streams, over rose bushes, over the tops of heads of officials who I think we see one like, like oh, as you like fly over and like he's like holding onto like his hat and his beard. He's like, oh my what was that? Did you, did you see anything darling? Uh, to his spouse who's like got her like nose buried in a scroll she's like, uh-huh Real interesting, honey, yeah. And you soar past you soar past them, right? You like ruffle the robed skirts of like court ladies who are like, ooh, what was that? You know, as you like soar past like courtesans, et cetera, et cetera. We just see like a comedy of errors as you're just like flying through the slumbering palace. And then you rocket toward a courtyard that looks familiar. Yeah, something about this courtyard is like ringing a, a bell like in your head and you're like, this has gotta be part of where I grew up from, right? Gods, things are the same, but things are also so different. There are new banners on buildings. There are even new buildings. Old buildings are gone. Uh, the general layout of the Slumbering Palace is the same, but there's been construction and there's been change since you left seven years ago. Once Oka gets to a place where they almost kind of feel familiar, because they're also like, they were playing that game with their heart rate, but now it's all over. They're so focused on flying. So it's literally all they can hear is the sound of their own heartbeat, like thumping and 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 thumping in their ears. Like it's making it hard for them to know where they are and what's going on. They're just like, their heart is beating so fast. And I think they like, they come to like almost a land on top of like the, um, they're like tiled roofs and they're like running along the top, like they're like running now along the tops of the buildings and they'll like jump and like fly for a few feet to get onto another building to try to like look for 
anything that's familiar, their mom's house, their mom's room, anything. Just as your uh, blue double-pupiled eyes light upon a building that looks kind of familiar, it's starting, to, you're, it's starting to click together what building this is. You hear shouting uh, coming, coming from the ground level of the house that you're currently perched atop uh, in two, uh, which I don't think you've spoken in a long time, but it comes back to you because it's your mother tongue, right? And you know immediately what they're saying. It's guards' voices going, what? What is that? Hey, you up there, intruder! There's no time, Oka. What do you do? There's no time. I'm running. I'm going. I'm not standing still one time at all. I'm going for where I need to go. Fuck them if they know where I'm going. I'm going there. You jump up. You Your wings spread open again. You only have your wings for a minute. So I think this entire montage is taking less than 60 seconds. Uh, and you soar toward this building that looks familiar. And as you rocket toward it, it's sort of like a, uh, let's say a three-tiered, almost like pagoda style building that's very... I, Actually, you know what? Let's say it's like eight, eight stories tall. It's like a pagoda and it's beautiful. You soar toward it. And then the puzzle piece like clicks into place as you approach the ceramic tile, you approach the roofs that are curved in this like beautiful too long in architecture. Oh shit. That's Halo's tower. What do you do? They're hurtling toward the window and they are going to activate uh, their, their blood weapon. Uh, calling edge it just kind of like just like a little like spike out of the top of their hand uh, because they're not going for the door at the bottom because that's where the guards are they're going for the window and they are just gonna go like they're just gonna go through the through the through the window yeah uh <laughs> You pummel through the delicate architecture. Uh, there is no glass here. It's just sort of like a lattice, like woodwork for the window. So like, bam, like the wood just splinters. Your feet punch through it like it's cellophane, right? And like, I think your wings crumple uh, against, because your wings are too big to fit through. So do they like disappear and shatter out of existence or? Oh, Oka comes down like a, like, you know how uh, falcons like tuck their win wings in to like go down really? That's what Oka does at the window. They tuck it in. And then I think like as soon as they're kind of like the wood shatters around them, their wings like splay out and start knocking shit around, you know, as they go like, and I think uh, they have just lost control at this point and they just like land and roll on the floor. Yeah. Okay. As, <laughs> as you just you're literally like a bird trapped in a house like you start like your wings like start knocking shit over um like one like a, an inkwell goes flying and smashes against a wall like you like knock like a bunch of sheets and pillows onto the ground from a nearby bed like you you tumble and you roll across the, the rug covered floor until like you your back slams against an armoire right and like perfumes and like a, a scrying bowl filled with blood on top of the armoire falls down and splashes onto you so now you're covered in someone else's blood right and like a bunch of like herbs and like dried like offerings and bones and vestments also just clatter all around you little beads and marbles and coins raining down all around you the thunderous sound of your own bad decisions catching up to you as you sort of like just stall there for a moment i think like like the literal wind knocked out of your chest as you look around and see that you have crashed and burned inside of halo's private bedroom her private quarters, okay? And here everything was like, everything had its proper place, I think. That's like how this person is, 
as a character. Like these like be this beautiful armoire with like stuff on top of it, right? Like this beautiful bed with like sheets that she folds herself every morning and doesn't allow the servants to touch. Like this gorgeous scroll, like huge landscape painting of like a vista uh, from one of the misty mountains in Tulong without like an ink well has shattered against it because of you. And like this dirty, gross black stain is just poof, like splattered across like a mountain goat, goat, like a herd of mountain goats, like in the vista. And I think you're just stalled there, like little ducks swimming over your head. No one's in here. There's no one. You're alone. Oka stalls, like you said. They're just kind of are like splayed there. And they look down, now covered in blood, unfortunately, uh, typically, maybe even. And they put their hands down in their lap and put their head against the back of the armoire. And they go, fuck. Okay, uh, make a perception check. 19. You hear footsteps uh, starting to come up, because this is a pagoda, so it's like ver- it's like a vertical building. Uh, so you can hear footsteps going up, like the, the circular stairway winding up like the edges of this pagoda. Uh, and like kind of loud, angry, and suspicious voices of royal guards, like, murmuring amongst each other. Maybe this should have been the first thing I did. Uh, Time to go invisible. Uh, Time to go invisible. Uh, Oka, just on the ground, in the shadow of this armoire, just kind of uh, inhales sharply, and uh, the the shadow that the armoire was casting, along with this, like, long twilight coming in, not even a twilight because there's no sun, but this false twilight, I guess, coming in, just kind of wraps around their body and they're gone. Okay, and just in time as the doors like burst open and like a retinue of maybe seven royal guards comes in led by a captain. Uh, Cause the royal guards of too long work fast when there's like intruders or things afoot inside their slumbering palace. Uh, and you, I think you recognize the captain. She is a blue-skinned tiefling woman uh, with these, like, black ram's horns, like, arched up and over her forehead and, like, curl down and, like, frame her, like, chiseled jawline. Uh, and her eyes are these, like, pure black, the same color as her horns. And she's the only one not dressed in, like, heavy plate armor. She's actually wearing this, like, studded or padded leather armor, almost more similar to, like, the clans of Kirtal than anything more too long in, and, like, a, a scale male, like, a skirt on uh, and she is armed with these spiked gauntlets that she has on. And she like looks around, her uh, her eyebrows like knitting over her face. She's maybe in her 50s or something. And she barks a command, search, uh, to, to, to her squadron. And they start just like going over. Like they walk right past you. None of them see you. And they start like turning, turning over, like opening up closet doors, like looking under the bed, like pulling the sheets back, like searching everywhere. And she slowly walks forward, looking around, like gradually. And then like a lieutenant comes up to her and says, I'm sorry, Captain. There doesn't appear to be anyone in here, which is odd, even though we clearly saw the winged intruder fly into the Dream Prophet's private quarters. It's okay. She takes in a deep breath and exhales it slowly. And Oka, I think that's when you know you're in deep shit. Because this specific captain serves the second wife uh, of the emperor, Queen Guo Ruchong. And just as Queen Mo Guilin is known for flesh magic, Queen Guo Ruchong is known for spirit magic and peering beyond the veil. 
So this captain closes her eyes, and when she opens them, her eyes are glowing. Uh, and it actually casts, like, this cone of, like, glowing black light as she sweeps around the room uh, to look for invisible objects and people. Uh, as she sweeps around <laughs> at this beam. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, first of all, I know that this is... I'm calling it right now. This is one of Mercy's exes. I fucking know it. I just know it. Uh, second of all, do I know her name? Have, like, do I know who she is? I don't know if Oka has ever paid attention to That's to fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It was seven years ago also. Uh, maybe also not the time for Oka to be like, I think I know your name. Uh, anyway, that's just me being curious. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Oka sees this and all, like the little puzzle pieces start to click and they're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like not in their head. Like fuck, 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 fuck. And, and I think they're like scrambling like up to try to get out of the cone. Um, like, back toward the window. Yeah, I, I'm gonna need you to make a contested uh, stealth versus her perception check. 16. That is not sufficient. <laughs> You're scrambling up, and I think, like, for those who can't see you invisibly, like, it's like the armor starts, like, moving a bit, and you see, like, like some marks being scraped across, like, the rug, like, the fur getting flattened down as your feet are sort of, like, splaying all around you. And then this cone of magic sweeps onto you, and it's like you're, you're, you're sliced into existence uh, as the light sweeps onto you. And you're, you're just there, covered in someone else's blood. Like, your wings, like, press down around you. Uh, and the captain's eyes widen. And then the... Go ahead. How do you calculate fall damage? 1d6 per uh, 10 feet. You said this is eight stories tall? Yeah, each story is maybe tw 20, 20 feet. So that's 100 feet. So 1d6, so that'd be 10d6 of fall damage. I have a minute. Okay, so as Uka considers defenestration, uh, we're gonna cut to a completely different part of the city. Manaya, Dewey, V and Rev. The four of you travel through Dokao in the back of Grandpa Hien's wagon, hidden amongst a massive bushel of flowers. The plan is, of course, to move through the capital city undetected inside the flowers at first, and then when you're closer to the palatial walls, to come out disguised as a rough and tumble group of mercenaries who have captured Makoya Hien, who's actually Dewey Quirk in disguise. Uh, and stuffed inside these flowers, the four of you smell like roses and hyacinths and chrysanthemums, and the dying light of the sky pours through gaps in the petals, and the sounds of Dokao's rowdy streets are barely muffled by the thin stems of these flowers. Uh, Grandpa Hien is currently driving the cow that was scorched by Mao Mao last session uh, under the huge wooden beams of Dokao's Pai Fang, uh, which is an ornamental archway uh, that marks where the countryside ends and the capital city begins. It's just sort of this freestanding arch that's really huge and beautiful. The late bloomers also ride the wagon. Dwin, our lovable half-orc boy with a pumpkin-shaped head, uh, holds Mao Mao's hand, while Azen, the single rhino-horned brown-skinned tiefling, chews on a stalk of grass. And as this journey uh, proceeds through Dokao, why don't the three of you make me a perception check to see what you notice from inside the flowers, either like sound, smell, or if you're brave enough to like peek through. 
six. Hey, a me six. Too. Oh my god, two sixes. What did Manaya get? Another six, please. Not a six. I have special dice, but the twenty says uwu, and I got an uwu. Oh, we got a nat twenty. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. So I think as the Dewey and V. And Manaya and Rev, I think there's like a cute moment where like the four of your heads, just like for like fun flavor's sake, like peek out of the top of these like, of these flowers. And we see like Dewey's little feathered face, like these little glasses covered, like yellow black eyes. We see like V's like white hair, like the long elven ears peeking out first and this rhyme of like green scales on her forehead. We see Manaya's like poofy hair, like like dark skin coming out, like eyes gazing from left to right, silvery eyes. And we see like Rev's also like long drow, like tapered ears, uh, as well as like her long flowing black and white hair, like peeking out. And you're just looking around. Uh, and Dewey and V, the two of you, well, it's a, it's a busy city. That's what you see at first. There's just tons of people walking around all around you. And unlike with Oka's palanquin, you're just like a regular ass group of people. So the crowd doesn't part for you. There's no stopping. You like stop and you start and you stop and you start because the streets here are clustered full of people. You just get like smells of like roasting meats, of market stalls. You hear hawkers uh, trying to uh, vend their goods, shouting in this sharp uh, but still flowing too. Uh, and you realize that you're being carried through what appears to be like a market or like a, a leisure part of of Dokao. Uh, so there's a lot of taverns, a lot of inns nearby. Like people, and the taverns here, all the doors are open all the time um, because it's not, it's a particularly, it's an unseasonably warm day, I think, in Tiger. Uh, so people have set out like outdoor like um go boards and like chess boards right and like mahjong tables and people are like smoking sitting around these tables like and and eating dinner while they gamble and play um and v i think you in particular your mismatched colored eyes land on one tavern uh, as you're as you're rolling through the street and something about this tavern it looks like every other tavern but something about it calls to you, hooks you in the bottom of your heart and seems to pull you in, right? Something about it. You're not sure what, though. Would you like to make an insight check on yourself? Yes, I would. I would love to do insight check on myself. Why not? Nat fucking 20, bitches! <laughs> I think with the nat 20, it's almost like time slows down a little and the creaking of the wagon wheel, like slows down like the cow like hoof like comes up off the ground and is about to take another step and like the the wind sort of ruffles your hair and your eyes widen and you lock eyes with a tiefling woman coming out of the tavern uh and she's like dragging a patron by the ear and like and he's like drunk even though it's not even evening yet and is like basically kicking kicking him out of the tavern and she's like admonishing him but you can't hear what she's saying because it's so loud all around you but you do see her mouth move and she looks like she's maybe um it's really hard to tell age because you could look like you're in your 50s but actually be like 200 years old or in v's case look like you're in your 30s but actually be like 200 years old uh, this tiefling woman has this like dark crimson skin right and she's got these like uh her open tunic reveals like this like patchwork of scars that mar her from her chest all the way up to the bottom of her jaw she's like kind of weathered um but she looks like she used to be like 
gorgeous when she was like younger. And she's like, her beauty has um, aged gracefully on her face, right? She's a very beautiful woman, maybe in her fifties. Uh, she's dragging this guy out by, by the ear and like throws him out into the street. And something about her with your nat 20 inside check is what makes this tavern familiar to you. But she looks completely unfamiliar, which is another odd thing. Like you don't recognize her at all. I think that would help describe like the lack of insight on everything else is just like so hyper-focused then on this memory and yeah it's like this fog a little bit of I'll, I'll, I'll drop this little thing everything about this city is like a cloud to V like she spent a lot of time here but it's like a cloud and she just is can't quite put two and two together but yeah there's something there for her for sure she becomes very distracted for the rest of this trip. I think you do. And then like time, I think what yanks you out of this like time slowdown for you as you're looking at her and like you're starting to pass is Rev's voice. Uh, close to your ear being, V, what's wrong? And then psh, like all the chattering of like, like the clucking of roosters, the chattering of people, like the smell of dinner. Psh, and then like the wagon wheel continues like creaking along and like the cow's hoof like stomps down onto the ground and continues walking. Oh, uh, uh, nothing's wrong. I just, uh, I always get uh, overwhelmed with feelings. Uh, this is such a beautiful, look at the city. Is it not, is it not beautiful, Rev? Is this not, uh, yeah, I, I love it here, don't you? Roll performance to hide your true feelings from your girlfriend. <laughs> Thank God I have a high modifier. Um, well, it's still only an 11. Okay, I'm going to have her insight check. Okay. Uh, her eyebrows knit together and she looks at you, cocks her head to the side, her one gold eye and her one black eye both sort of narrowed. But she doesn't press you on the issue right there. But you know that she doesn't completely buy what you're saying, and there will be a conversation to be had with your girlfriend later. Manaya, with your natural freaking 20, you realize that Grandpa Hien is not taking you in a straight line to the palace. For most of the trip, he is, but then. In the last half of, last third of, of the trip, um, just as like the giant like blue walls of the slumbering palace start to rise in the distance, uh, you notice first that the wagon is starting to slow down and Grandpa Hien's starting to drive the wagon into like a side street, like away from this like main thoroughfare of taverns and entertainment and dinner and into like a more quiet, like artsy district, I think, with a lot of like crafts people um you see like like sculpture shops like painting shops calligraphy stores etc and grandpa hien seems to be like moving on a diagonal right like into this area that's what you notice um and i think as the wagon starts to slow down and grandpa hien uh he drives the cow into a humble courtyard uh maybe a couple blocks away from the palace itself uh, and all of you travel under a sign uh, written in two over this archway that V, you of the PCs would know it means handcrafted with love, right, in two. And away from the hustle and bustle of this main street, the air in this tiny, the small, like, residential courtyard feels fresher. Uh, and the late bloomers all hop off the wagon and they start to unload some of the flowers. Uh, and that's when Grandpa Hien wraps the cart and says to the four of you, all right, go on. Get changed. We're safe here for now. V sort of like pops up and it's all like, let me get ready to do my things. Is everybody ready? Dewey, are you ready? 
I think Dewey on this wagon ride has realized he's allergic to one of the flowers in there. So he's too busy, like, wiping his nose. He's, uh, like, just about to unleash this giant sneeze when V is doing the disguise prep. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, your your little, like, beak is, like, like wrinkling up as V turns to address you. And maybe you, ha- we, you have this really gross and, like, undignified expression on as V addresses you. Manaya, are you ready? Are you, uh, uh, I've, I'm getting warmed up here. Are you ready for this? Oh, uh, one moment. Uh, Manaya's gonna walk over to the giant bundle of flowers that we were ensconced in. Find a few flowers that are about the same. Find eight buds, buds that haven't bloomed quite yet. And she's going to pick them. They're not gonna miss eight flowers. And she's gonna hand them out one by one to... Rev, V, Dewey, the three late bloomers, and Grandpa Hien, as well as one for herself. And she says, since we're going to be disguised, this is how we'll recognize each other. If anything bad happens, do something with this. Make it bloom, catch it on fire, chew on it, I don't care. But that'll be our signal. <laughs> Ozan says, yeah, catch it on fire! Fire! Uh, uh, Ozan, maybe... <clears throat> Maybe not the pyromania here. Thank you, Manaya. Very, very smart of you to suggest such a thing. And I think as Manaya walks over to the late bloomer, she says, and of course we can't leave you three out. And she, and she hands over the buds. Oh, thanks so much, Manaya. And this is Dwin talking, um, a big smile breaking over his pumpkin-shaped head as he, accept, as he accepts this uh, un, unbloomed bud. Uh, and he takes the other another one from you two and like hands it to Mama, who very shyly clings to Duin's side and sort of like, thank you, uh, through her bangs up at you, Manaya. <laughs> oh, Mama, one last thing. V, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Manaya gets down on one knee in front of Mama and pulls out a box, small, not carved at all, just like a plain wooden box with some basic hinges on it. Opens it up to reveal. A few leaves, I think, like a, a good pile of uh, small, what maybe look like mint sort of leaves. And she opens it up at Malmo and says, These are rare herbs that I was gifted not long ago by a good friend. If you chew on one or brew it into a tea, they're said to give you good dreams. And my eye closes the box and hands it to her. Hands it to her. You're going to need this more than us. Oh. I know these herbs. They're native to the kingdom. Where, where did you get your hands on some of these? A good friend from a couple nations over. Manaya blinks or winks, uh, and walks back to V. All right, let's do this. Uh, Manaya, you notice Mama looking almost like alarmed, uh, up at Duin, like down at this box and up at Duin, and she, uh, uh, hold on, Manaya. These, thank you, but I. I couldn't possibly accept this gift from you. It, these herbs have, have since gone extinct. They don't exist anymore. They're very rare. Then I have one more job for you. When you get back to Grandpa Hien's courtyard, remember all those flowers there? Find the most fertile soil you can get and find the, mo- the biggest leaf, ideally with more stem and bury it in a nice open spot in some fertile soil. And when I get back there, I'll see what I can do. Grandpa Hien, what, what do you think? Are these dream herbs salvageable? Can we even plant them in this state? 
Well, I don't know, Mau Mau. But being a florist, being a gardener, has run in the Hien family line for generations. I'll make it work. Oh, thank you, Grandpa Hien. And thank you, Manaya, for these. Uh, Mau Mau, you better not show anyone that you have them. These herbs, rare as they are, a lot of people want them, so we have to hide the fact that we have them. If anyone catches wind that we're in possession of these dream herbs, well, uh, oh boy, I, I... It's okay, Dwin. It's okay. We'll make sure not to tell anyone, right, Azen? Yeah, yeah, don't tell anyone about the weird stinky herbs in a box. You got it, boss. Hey, oh. you're in charge of reminding Mama when you get back, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, 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 we've got it. We've got a dynamic figured out. We'll be fine, Manaya. Why don't the, the four of you just figure on uh, figure out how to get transformed? Right. V, you ready? Here we go. And uh, V's diamond in her chest starts to grow green, and she almost, like, scoops out of it, almost like it looks like green glowing paint, and, like, slaps some on Dewey, pulls out another one, slaps it on Manaya, and takes one more, and, and just all over Rev, and it's like it grows on you until your your entire body is like glowing this green, but we can still see you underneath. And then V like goes over to Dewey and like starts almost like sculpting the magic, sculpting, sculpting, sculpting until it looks pretty like Oka, um, pretty uh, shirtless like we discussed. You can still see there's some scars, there's some scars. Um, and as we discussed, there Dewey has at least a tool or two tucked away in his shorts. So V gets around that by basically making it look like uh, Oka's a little bit more swole than perhaps they really are in real life in the in the thighs. They're just really powerful, powerful, big tree trunk thighs. Um, but massive, like rippling with muscle. And then so V steps back, admires her handiwork. And like as V admires her work, the glow like goes away and it just like looks almost, like it looks like an Oka. Pretty much. And uh, then V goes over to Rev, like, starts messing around, puts the draw ears down, but, and then, like, gets a little, like, dissatisfied, and, like, you almost can hear her thinking, not hot enough, and, like, almost moves back into, like, a little bit more Rev, but, like, is obviously struggling until finally the the glow disappears and it's a very human looking rev it's like if rev was just a plain human but very much the same facial structure uh and when sort of this black robe situation the flower is is clipped to the front but otherwise it's just like a little bit of black robes you can see like hints of leather armor underneath but it's it's rev with slightly shorter hair and then he turns to Manaya and says, ooh, I'm going to have fun with this, and starts sculpting, 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 turning around, and slowly uh, the face begins to appear more feline-esque as she turns Manaya into a tabaxi and gets some, again, it's also crafting the, the armor to be sort of this black chunks of leather armor wrapped around in, in cloth, black cloth, and like, Kind of like brown stripes, but with like some gold stripes in there too. Like it's a very noble, beautiful uh, cat-like creature. And then the green just fades and you're just left with this seven and a half foot tall tabaxi um, that's brown and gold. Oh my god, I love it. 
I would give you a point of inspiration, but you're already full up. So that was amazing. When all that is said and done, uh, Rev looks down at this kind of like, you know, because with this clay-like glow that you described it with, like, shaping her into existence, she just says, mm, Thanks, V, uh, but you know I can just do this, right? Uh, and it's like feathers rippling down her body, almost like Mystique and X-Men transforming, but instead of, like, blue scales, it's feathers, they ripple as she casts Disguise Self on herself <laughs> uh, to make herself look like a better version of the disguise you did. V, j literal jaw drop. You're so hot. <laughs> and, um, okay, okay, okay. Oh, I, I got it. No, no I, I've for, saved the best for last. Hold on here. And um, V warms up again. A uh, little bit of a green glow. She grabs it and she just like poofs her on the top of the head. But this time it's more like like powder that's just like everywhere. And when it clears uh, is a... Oh, gosh. Uh, a human lady, but very, like, lean and very, like, um, almost seems like a monk, perhaps, giving some vibes here. Uh, but again, with, like, the sort of black armor in, in sort of black robes and uh, the little flower on the chest. Um, but dark, dark hair, um, v almost like black eyes and um, very gaunt in the face. Except uh, if you really look closely, like the sparkle, like the little reflections of light in her eyes are Kelly Green still. So just as the finishing touches of this, this guy sort of like settle over V's body, uh, all four of you hear voices from inside the, the building go, uh, one voice actually go, oh, Grandpa Hien, is that you? Are, are our flowers here? Thank you so much. And coming out of this, like, um, kind of like the, the darkened residential area, stepping out into the into the light, is a bronze tiefling. Uh, she's got this, like, glossy, almost incandescent skin. Uh, like, almost like a light bulb, right? That, like, glows a little bit uh, in, in, like, the dark light. Uh, and she has this very full body, like, almost like hourglass, like, build. Uh, and this, like, long, curly black hair that goes down her shoulders in these, like, immaculate waves, almost like a Mahu's waves a little bit. Uh, and her eyes are these, like, pure blue with no irises. And you see her, like, nails are also painted this, like, sheer kind of, like, pearlescent white. Um, like, uh, pearls that you might find in a clam at the bottom of the ocean. And she's got this, like, pointed, heart-shaped face. These full lips with, like, a divot at the top, forming this perfect Cupid's bow. Uh, and she speaks in common, actually. Uh, that's a little accented with, like, Uhan. A little bit. Uh, as she as she steps forward, but she's dressed in like two long in robes, and she like opens up her like like these full bodied like forearms, and Grandpa Kian says, "Oh, yes, of course, Miss Kaula, here you go, the flowers as you ordered. Thank you so much, uh, darling. Uh, the the sculpture, the little work trade we've agreed on, and coming out following uh, Miss Kaula." is a striking elven person uh, with skin like black marble. And it's struck through with these veins of gold and white all over their body. And they're wearing in, in like contrast to how striking they look, a really plain tunic, these like really plain trousers and these like working person's boots. Almost like very practical, almost like Dewey. Um, and sh uh, they look a little like standoffish. They've got this like short white hair that's like sort of raked back. And they're also wearing an apron that's got some grease and stuff on it. And they have like this like 
belt, this like tool belt, like strapped around their waist. And they're holding in one hand a little like sculpture, like a little bust um, of like a horse figurine, right? And it's very beautifully done, also sculpted from marble, right? They seem to be some sort of like marble worker. <clears throat> uh, here you go. And they kind of like awkwardly shift their eyes left and right. Um, they don't seem to be very good in social situations and their mannerism almost reminds you a little bit of Dr. Eluso. Um, and they step forward and they just sort of like, like without another word, like hold out this like this this marble bust, this gorgeous bust. Um, and Dwin uh, steps forward and says, uh, I can take that from you. Thank you, Tarnock. Uh, and accepts like the heavy like horse's head and like puts it back on the wagon. Oh, and who might these three friends be? Uh, four friends, I mean. Are they new additions to the late Bloom boarding house? Well, yeah, nice to meet you. Hello. Uh, my name is uh, Raka. Um, it's so lovely to uh, make your acquaintance. Uh, this is this is my friend here. Uh, this tall, tall drink of water is, you know, uh, Lyrica. Uh, yeah, Lyrica, hello, welcome, welcome. Uh, and this is, um, a prisoner of ours over here. Don't, don't, don't talk to him. It's, trust me, if, if, if he opens his mouth, he lies. Trust me. And this is our good friend, um, uh, Ev. Evie. Evie. This is our friend Evie. Okay, I need you to make a deception roll, my good friend. <laughs> All three of you make a collective deception roll, and I'm, I'm taking money. The, I'm taking the lowest. What deception am I doing? You have to just stand there and sell it, okay? So Manaya and Dewey also make a deception. It's a group deception check. What did Manaya Lyrica get? Oh boy, I don't like that look. What did Manaya get? I'm gonna keep the nine. Okay, a nine. What about Doka? How invested are we in this? <laughs> Just remember, with a nat 20, I do have a plus 7, so it is 27. <laughs> I'm taking the lowest in this group check. Well, I got a 3. Okay. Do you want to keep it? Do you want to keep it, Dewey? Yeah, I'm going to need okay. these rolls later. There's a pause as Miss Kaula and Tarnock both, like, just stare at your group. And then, like, a big smile, like, crosses uh, Miss Kaula's face. And she says, ah, well, it's nice to meet you. My name is Kiwohana Kaula. Uh... My fiance and I, we just moved here a couple weeks after the cataclysm, actually, uh, before, before the Dream Shield came up. Uh, so we're very grateful that the Emperor has allowed us to stay in this beautiful city. And we hope that other um, transients, such as yourselves, uh, also find a place here in Dokao. We appreciate that very much. We're, we're just passing on through. We've got this cargo to deliver, and then we're, you know... It's, you're right, that dream shield, that's, oof, it's real tough to get through that one, let me tell you, friend, and, uh, we're just looking to come in and out, cause no troubles whatsoever, and just, uh, deliver this motley, <laughs> he, like, looks back at, at, uh, Do Doka, Doka, and just be like, you know what, if I say any more about him, it will just ruin everything you know, so we're just going to... Pretend like he, like they don't, they don't exist. Okay. Uh, say, say no more. It's okay. Oh. When Grandpa Hien came to me and Tardnock saying that there was a special delivery to be had, you can trust the two of us to keep our lips sealed. You don't have to worry about anything. It's true. 
Miss Kaula and Mixia are good people. They'll keep our secret safe. Certainly. Well, the hour's getting late. Tarnak, how about I put on some tea and make some dinner? And why don't you step away from your workstation? Take a break from work tonight. I miss you. Uh, right. Okay. And even in the presence of their, like, fiancé, Tarnak seems really awkward, right? Uh, would any of you like to insight check them or, like, roll perception or anything on them? Up to you. Sure, that seems like a good idea. That one. <laughs> <laughs> the dice giveth and the dice taketh away. Can we roll the 20? A dirty 20 or a nat? Dirty. Manaya's mm. not interested in the personal affairs of this couple. Okay. Uh, so, Dewey, you rolled a dirty 20, which is... For, like, a newly engaged couple, uh, Kilohana is super at ease. Like, she's really gregarious and personable. But Tarnok seems, like, really, like, not about it. Like, really awkward. And it's probably just because, like, they're in the company of, like, seven strangers right now or something. Um, but even with her fiancé, they seem a little nervous or awkward, right? Um, and Kilohana says, well, it was great to meet all of you. Have a wonderful journey. Goodbye, Grandpa Hien. Certainly, certainly. Thank you so much for the statue. All right, then. Now is probably where we part ways. And he's addressing the three of you and Rev as Kilohana and Tarnak like, disappear back inside their, their home. The palace isn't far from here. You probably won't run into too much trouble by taking Doka through the streets and up to the palace walls. Thank you so much for this, Grandpa Hien. Uh, I We really... Really do appreciate it. And then um, V almost like uh, has to like cough up a little bit. Like, just remember the rest of the plan and hopefully we will meet you at the, the getaway spot in just a little bit of time. You got it. What was your name again? It didn't start with a V, so I forgot. V looks at everybody else. What was my name? What, what, what did I choose? What did I... What did we you... only introduced ourselves to one person, so... And I wasn't quite fond of the name you gave me. Okay, this is good. We should plan now. What are our names? I like Dev. I'll, I'll go by Ev. Okay, perfect. At least I did something right for somebody. Doka, you're still Oka. We got, we got you. Um, I will go with a good old standard of uh, Vicky. I, I like Vicky. That uh, We'll keep it in the ballpark. And uh, Manaya, what shall we call you? Manaya takes a look at her your hand now paw. Uh, considers for a moment and says, I'm trying to come up with like a, like a cat. How about like a Mao, like an Egyptian Mao or something? We already have Mao Mao. How about Saya for Siamese cat? There you go. I like Saya. Okay. You got it. Manaya, Saya. Saya, perfect. I love it. That's very beautiful. And then while V is, V also pulls out uh, her rope and um, starts putting rope around uh, Doka. And just remember, like we planned, Dewey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this special trick knot that you can just, if you just pull real hard, you'll be able to break it and get out of these once you're someplace, right? Got it. Yeah, with these giant leg muscles of mine. Look, I had to hide your, your whatever you call those things, these tools of destruction that you're carrying in with you. Look, what do you want from me? I can't be perfect all the time. As the four of you, like, dis finally decide on, like, your code names and you get ready, I think, I think the four of you leave. 
Uh, you leave Grandpa Hien and the late bloomers inside this courtyard that belongs to uh, Miss Kaula and Mixia. Uh, and you step out into the main streets and you head toward those huge, looming, deep blue gates of the slumbering palace. Oka, you lie slumped against the base of a shattered armoire, uh, covered in someone else's blood with these little offerings to Mengshen, Jurdi littered all over you, these holy bones and like smoked herbs and coins that have been blessed by priestesses of Mengshen, Jurdi are now like lying covered and smeared in blood and dirt and draped in these little wayward feathers fluttering from your outstretched wings in the world's worst act of sacrilege, I think, as you're slumped inside your former fiance's private bedchambers. What makes this even worse is that one of the captains of the Royal Guard stands in front of you, looking down at you with invisibility revealing light beaming out of her black scleras. And for just a second, she pauses, her irisless eyes going wide as she registers what she sees. The fact that the exiled prince is back and inside the Dream Prophet's private bedchambers. What do you do? I think... As Oka realizes that they're about to be seen, I, I like describe them kind of like trying to skirt up, you know, and like towards the window. But and I think they like even do like a backwards glance, like down. And it's like in the like in the movies where like the camera pans like whoosh, like down and they're like, mm, no. Uh, and instead, uh, as this person like lands their magical gaze upon them, Oka takes Dream Hunter unsheaths it and points it at her and lets the invisibility flake off themselves. And they go, hi, you know what this is? This is Dream Hunter. The person who wields Dream Hunter is the person in line for the throne. That means that if I wield Dream Hunter, I am above your rank and you will not take me prisoner. There's a pause, and I think like several of the guards are like going for the short sword strapped to their waist, but the captain raises a hand. Uh, you know, and he, her fingers sort of curl under like the heavy weight of her spiked gauntlet. She responds in two. You, Prince Hien, Prince Makoya Hien, you're back. You can't be back. You have spirit sight. What do you see before you but a ghost? Hmm? No, you are not a ghost. You are of flesh and blood. So much blood. That sword belongs to the Emperor. Return it immediately. And Oka tips it up against her chin, like against the bottom of her chin. I will. Take me to the Emperor. Make a perception check. I'm going to use a point of inspiration because that was a nat one. Okay. Only a 13. Okay. Uh, that is not sufficient. Okay. Uh, better than that one, but still not sufficient. As you're standing there with Dream Hunter under her chin, I need you to make a constitution saving throw. 15. That's not quite going to hit it. As one of the soldiers has snuck up behind you while you were talking to this captain and like, like stuffs a cloth over your nose and mouth. 
um, that's like sort of steeped in some sort of poison or some sort of like. I have resistance to poisons and poison damage. I think actually I have an advantage on saves against poison. Also, can I X card that? Choking. Okay. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Can we do like a needle instead of a cloth? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we can do that. So why don't you make another save because you have advantage against this? 21 that time. Okay, that is sufficient. You are just going, you're not gonna get knocked out immediately. You're gonna get kind of woozy though. Uh, so you feel like something sharp jab into the back of your neck and immediately like these like colors like explode in front of your eyes. And we see that your like irises get like really big, you know, and like there's like, <gasps> like your heart maybe like that you were regulating this whole time, like starts like beating really, really, really fast. And then really, really slow, right? As like like the, the room starts to spin around you. But you have a moment to react because you're not knocked out immediately because that was a successful save. Hey, what the fuck? And they like swing, they just swing the sword and their arm in this huge arc around them. Hey, hey, fuck you. I said fuck. <laughs> and then that's when they fall. <laughs> Okay, yeah, and as you fought Boo, you collapse to the ground, like the world starts getting like blurry and fuzzy, and bam, like your head hits the ground, but you don't even feel it hitting the ground, and you just see these like big boots of the captain come forward, and that's the last thing you see before your entire world just turns to ash. And then we're gonna cut to the front gates of the slumbering palace, where... Manaya, Dewey, V, and Rev, disguised beautifully, roll up, uh, roll up to the the open maw of this Azure dragon. Why don't three of you tell me what it looks like as you're rolling up? To like, how are you carrying Doka, or like, what's the play here? I think V is a little bit more on point, like a little bit ahead of the group, trying to you know be the one to meet the guards first. And is just trying to vibe a bit of like, I am badass warrior, don't mess with me. And kind of like, just a very chilling way of scanning what's in front of her. I think Dewey is following with uh, Doka's hands tied behind their back, taking uneven steps, sort of like tripping over their own feet a little bit and like making gruff noises of indignance towards the people around him. Manaya? I think Manaya and Rev are positioning themselves sort of in a triangle with V in the front and them to set a little bit behind and to the side of Doka. Not with their arms crossed, but with the energy of having their arms crossed. Okay. Uh, so as your procession approaches the front gates, several things happen. First, as you get closer, the people around the market area, right, that are like at the at the bottom of the wall, like at the base of this palatial wall, start to notice you all. And like commoners and nobles alike all pause in what they're doing, whether it's uh, playing cards against each other, eating dinner, or trying to get their kids to come back home as, as the light fades from the sky. They all pause and their mouths sort of drop open as they see Doka. Right, being escorted by what to them appears to be like a really ragtag group of like grizzled mercenaries. Uh, Dewey, are you bound and gagged? Or is Doka free to speak? I think Doka's free to speak. You just hear like whispering in two. No one except V here knows what they're saying. And there's just murmurs, snatches of, is that, could that be? 
Is that? No way. No, that can't be. Was that the exiled prince? Mikoya Hien, was it? But wait, why were they exiled? Didn't you know? Seven years ago, there was a... And then the emperor set an execution, but... They escaped. They ran away. The ultimate treason. But why? What did they do? Something about the Silent Grove. Yes, yes, that's right. The sacred grove inside the Silent Grove. And then there was some sort of celestial beast slain, blood, death, exile. Uh, and these words and sentences are just sort of like bubbling up uh, as the four of you travel through the streets. But no one like stops you. And people just even seem to like lean away from you almost in fear specifically of Oka, or rather Doka in the center. And when you draw up to the main gates, you see that all on the parapets uh, surrounding the main gates, suddenly like the sound of um, uh, tendon and horn being pulled as short bows are drawn with arrows and pointed down at your group. But they're not like gonna loose them yet. They're just like training a bead on you in case some, some funny shit goes down. And that's when... A captain of the gate guard strolls up to the four of you. Uh, and they are this big, burly hobgoblin uh, with this, like, dark hair tied up into a bun uh, and this, I think, like, scarred green skin and this sort of, like, flat snout-like nose and, like, a grizzled scar uh, running down one side of their face. And they're dressed in, like, plate and chain. And they have this heavy maul strapped to their back. They approach, they say, ensue, so only V would understand. Halt! What is that? What do you have in your care there? What is your business at the palace? When the captain says halt, V puts up a hand and, like, stops in her tracks and everyone else stops. Oh, hello there. Uh, the, the roses are blooming today, friend. And this is all in perfect chew. Um, we have come to collect a reward. We have finally found, after many years of searching, Prince Makoya Hien. Vultures circling a carcass claim that it is the body of a deer, a sacred deer killed, and not some sort of disguised animal, hmm? You know how many mercenaries we've had pull up pretending that they have the exiled prince in their care, wanting a slice of that prize money? Step forward. Well, I certainly understand when you're in the desert, you see many, many oasis on the horizon, and when you get close, they disappear right before your very eyes. But I assure you, friend, that the oasis, the water is very real today, and V does step forward. There's only one way to discern if something is an illusion or real, if it has form, if it can be touched. Mist travels between fingers, but water runs. Come. Well, you will find that the rocks are heavy, that the bed of the sea can be grabbed and run through your fingers. I think you will find that if Galtanger was here, things would be shining brightly today. And uh, V like sort of like gestures over for, for the rest of the group to, to come closer as well. Okay. Uh, and for the uninitiated, they're basically speaking, V and this captain are speaking in the two-way, uh, which is like around a problem instead of directly addressing it and like talking about it in metaphor. So even in this like tense negotiation, that's how two works. Um, it's a lot of idioms, it's a lot of metaphors and imagery. Uh, so as you step forward, the captain like 
jerks their head toward several of the gate guard who who approach tentatively, right? Weapons not drawn, but hands on the hilt of their of their of their weapons, etc. And they start to pat down each of you. The quote-unquote mercenaries first, leaving Doka for last. So, to see how well V's disguise holds up, what is that check against seeming? What's your spell save DC? I'm just going to make an investigation check against it. Uh, the DC I have is 15. Okie dokie. What if I use a nat 20 on this? <laughs> just kidding. I won't do that to you. <laughs> you did not. No, no. It's, oh my God. it's a nat one. Yeah. It's a nat one. <laughs> oh my God. V's over here. <gasps> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think what a nat one means is they, they just don't, they don't find jack shit. And in fact, your disguise is super convincing. Like the mercenaries and Doka. So rough hands sort of pat you up and down, checking around like your tabaxi like head, Manaya and like patting, you know, cause you're so big. I think it takes like two to pat you down uh, for every one person it takes to pat down V and Rev. They don't find anything. And then three guards step up to you, Doka, and start patting you down. A couple of them like mutter in two, like, you see those legs? My gods. And they're like patting down the thighs. And they're so distracted by the musculature, they don't realize it's your tools hidden. And one of them who's, I think, patting down your front, right? Like is like opening your mouth and like checking inside and like looking like down. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like down your like bare chest. They seem reluctant to touch your bare chest, which is a smart move on your half. Like go down. And the person in front of you says, under their breath, in says something in two to you that V overhears, but I don't think you know what they say. V, this person says to Doka, treasonous snake, finally captured. I will laugh when your head rolls down the steps of her royal highness. V quickly translates that and casts message to Doka to understand that that's what was said. That's really smart, V. You hear the translation in your head, Doka. Do you have her helm of... I don't think you have your Helm of Comprehend Languages or anything like that on, so I don't know if you'd be able to speak in two. What's the play here? I said I was going to bring it, uh, but I revamped my thing. So now mm-hmm. I have the spell Comprehend Languages. Oh, how does that... Are you going to use it? I think I would have cast it, but it doesn't say okay. that I can speak the language. But I think I would have, before this, prepped with V and had her teach me a slew of curse words in two. <laughs> That's on brand. <laughs> So, so, what do you, so what do you say? May I supply one for you? Yes, please. An Oka special. Your mother is as ugly as a chicken's ass. <laughs> oh my god. Do you say it, Doka? Oh, I say it. Sell it to me. Sell it to me. Do the Oka grimace. Do it. Your mother's as ugly as a chicken's ass. <laughs> the smolder. It was the smolder that sold this the one. smolder on Doka's face. Oh my god, I love it. Uh, this captain reels like in astonishment. <sighs> you, how, how dare you, you little. Enough. Is it the real thing? Says the hobgoblin. <clears throat> yes, sir. Yes, it is. <sighs> and they like spit at your feet, Doka. And like it gets on your chew. Speaking in common, because I can't speak to you, Dewey says, I may be exiled, but I'm still, I still rise taller than you. So have some respect. In two, the guy responds, <laughs> What? You think you're too good to speak to you to us? What is this? 
look for... Oh, V coughs a little because she was about to go into her V voice. Listen, this prisoner has been giving us trouble for as long as we've captured them. Can we please just go before the Emperor and get this over with so we can turn this degenerate, treasonous piece of garbage to get their fateful destiny? By the gods, it appears that this is not a mirage, but an actual oasis. Sound the alarm! Tell the rest of the gods! The prodigal son has returned! The captain shouts up the parapets, and the message is shouted, like, down the wall, and then you hear, like, a big gong as someone, like, slaps a gong, and, like, almost like that scene in Mulan when they're on the Great Wall, and, like, other, like, fires go on along the wall, but instead of the fires, like, gong noises all the way around the entire circumference of the slumbering palace. And this is, like... V, I guess you would know if you're, like, kind of familiar with Qilong and custom. This is very rare. The kinds of gongs that are uh, slapped and sounded uh, mean different things. They could be storm warnings or, or like warnings of like invading army attacking, but that sort of gong has not been sounded for years and years, hundreds and hundreds of years. This gong means that like a very dangerous prisoner, right, has been taken into the palace and there's something going on in inside the slumbering palace. That's a big deal. Uh, you, because of my nat one, <laughs> You've, you've gotten past the gate guard and there's like a groaning of metal as the guards return to like to to their posts and they start like unraveling the chain and opening the door up for you. The hobgoblin captain says, I will be turning you in to the correct authorities inside. Come, the emperor himself will be in charge of giving you the prize money. Such is your reward. A glorious, glorious day. V looks around in like all this pomp and circumstance. You know, I was hoping that the wind would be a gentle breeze across the reeds, but it appears we've summoned a hurricane. When it comes to matters of treason and exile, hurricanes are an understatement. Uh, and he starts to like lead all of you in as like gong, gong, gong sounds out and like starts like vibrating and rippling the air. And as you stroll past these like huge open blue doors of the front gates of the massive slumbering palace, as the doors crack open for you, got the Oka. Oka, you jolt awake. Uh, I think, how would they? I think magic has been animating your body to move even while you've been unconscious. So you jolt awake to like, like you coming back into fuller realization of your body as your feet are moving. Uh, and these shackles are chaining your wrists together. Uh, and like the, the chains in front of you and behind you are like held by royal guards. Um, and the captain, the tiefling captain who had captured you is sort of at the head of the procession. And you're being walked through the slumbering palace toward the center of the slumbering palace, which is where the throne room is. And as you walk, I think what jolts you out of your like poisoned reverie is the sound of a gong going off, right? Just vibrating the air around you. And that's when you joke back into your senses. Fuck. <clears throat> is the magic animating my body or do I like, do I have full control over it now? And now that you've woken up, you have full control of your body again. 
They just stopped short like a fucking mule. That's they stopped short. Did you expect that to last longer? The procession pauses. The captain uh, ignores you completely and like turns to speak in like hushed tune to her lieutenant. Did you already give the missive to sound the alarm? No, no, I didn't, ma'am. Odd. Hmm. Never mind then. Let's keep walking. Don't make us knock you unconscious again. We'd think that you'd want at least a scrap of dignity to be kowtowing in front of the Emperor herself. I will not be kowtowing. You will do as the Emperor says, as is your privilege. Where is Dream Hunter? Dream Hunter, you can see, is in the possession of the captain. She's holding it in both hands. She doesn't dare strap it to her body like it belongs to her, but she's holding it in, t- in two hands, uh, reverently. Oka's gonna walk. As they are walking, testing just kind of like loosely like like as quietly and as sneakily as they can testing like the bonds of their restraints you know to see if there's a way that they could like oh they do such fucked up shit with their body like if they could like crack their own bones to like slip out kind of thing like if they could uh like just how strong it is and how much force they would need to break out of it like if they could heat or if they're slowly heating it up with the one tattoo so that they might be able to break out just anything like that yeah, why don't you make an investigation check on the shackles to see if they're mundane or magically enchanted or something? Twelve. Okay, a twelve. They're definitely enchanted, like beyond a doubt. Uh, you can feel the weave sort of thrumming and pulling tight around your wrists as like the shackles are chafing against them. You have a feeling it's gonna, you could probably break out of them, but it'll either take a really long time or be like really explosive and really obvious. Okay, I'm gonna hold on to that explosive option for later. As the procession continues to lead you to the heart of the slumbering palace, you see the officiants and the nobles and members of petty royalty, right? And like servants and groundskeepers all, just like with Doka, stop and pause what they're doing to stare at you, right? And they're like murmuring amongst themselves because they heard the gong and you know what the gong means, Oka. It means that you're... Well, you're here. You're a dangerous prisoner. You're here. So it means it's real. They're all like, what? Like clinging on to each other, staring like these open, huge eyes. You recognize some of them? Like that you passed by. They look seven years older. You know, I don't think any of these are people you're particularly close to, but you would have like passed them by in the palace while you were growing up. Like they're just muttering. And you hear the same kinds of like whispered rumors and gossip and fearful, like murmuring amongst them. Like, is that the prince? They've returned the gongs, so it must be real. <sighs> Are they? Yes, the emperor must be taking them in to execute them. Finally, it's what they deserve. You know, and like it's a lot of these words boiling together. Uh, if anyone says something rude like that, and I can hear it, I will fucking spit at them. Because I am not a good prince. <laughs> yeah, you'd be spitting a lot. <laughs> So do you spit if somebody's at- close enough, like if they, like if anyone tr- tries anything beyond the like far distant murmuring, like if, if anyone tried to get it in my face at all, I would be spitting at them. Okay, I think this is what happens then. No one gets close enough. They seem scared of you and they're giving like a very generous birth to like the procession. They're not going to get in the way of this like, like these royal guards, right? 
But here's a loose layout of how the slumbering palace works. The emperor's building is in the very heart of, of the palace, and the sort of spiraling like a conch shell, like out, uh, are the homes and the quadrants of the other spouses. So the first wife is really close to the heart, and like the eighth spouse is like all the way, like close to the walls instead. So you start to pass the complex, the courtyards, the interconnected gardens and rivers and streams and bridges of House Moor, of Queen Morguilian, which is where the Prince of Nice had been contracted to take you, but you'd broken out before before she, she could secretly grab you. And as you pass by uh, the House of Moor, Moor family residence, you see someone. The first person that you've seen that you actually recognize and know in seven years. Prince Mo Ding Tian. This half-red dragonborn, who instead of having like a snout or anything like Sievert, uh, has like a flat face, almost like a humanoid face, um, and like these like crests fanning out, right? Like from the sides of his head. Almost like very beautiful with these like dark crimson scales and he's draped in these like silver robes and he's walking with like a little fan club, right? He's always got a retinue with him, like the yes men uh, in this company and he's walking and laughing and he's got like a fan out and he's like fanning himself. And then he stops maybe 40 feet away under an archway as the procession starts to pass and the two of you lock eyes. And there's like a, a, a moment of shock on his face as like the final gong beat rings out, punctuating the silence between you. And then the shock and like, you know, seven years of absence melts away into this gleeful jubilation. Like, like underneath his eyes, like, like, squanch up and like his eyes turn into these sort of like inverted crescents you know and like this like his his nose lifts and wrinkles and like he shows all his teeth and gums as the smile like stretches his face open of just like this unadulterated gleeful look of reveling in someone else's misery what are you smiling at Mo? happy to see me <laughs> My. And Prince Moore is the first and only person with the spine, the foolishness, or the bravado to stop in front of the captain and force the procession to halt. And the captain holding Dream Hunter even, even like inclines her head deeply because he outranks her. Uh, Prince Moore. And he like waves a hand and the captain like turns and like parts to allow like a direct pathway between the two of you, but you're still shackled. <sighs> and he's like fanning himself in like triumph. Makoya Hien. You know, we all thought the dogs would have gotten you by now out in Talmud. That your body would have been nothing but a small pile of pink flesh and skeletons gnawed down by scavengers. You'd know a lot about scavengers, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, you've still got that lip. I see seven years hasn't changed you at all. <laughs> and somehow you've gotten worse. Worse? Worse? Really? And he sort of, like, turns his hand to show off an engagement bangle on his wrist, which is the same one 
you would have worn, and the beads on it indicate that he's engaged to Halo. A lot's changed since you've been gone, Four Eyes. Too bad you won't be alive for the wedding. Would have been nice to have a court jester in attendance. So you know how you said that it was going to take an explosive amount of force to break from my shackles? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I think now's the time. Uh, I rage. Okay, uh, are you just straight up trying to break it through force? Uh, actually, I think because they're here, right? Uh, I just over the head uh, and fucking clonk his head with mine. Uh, like I'm going to headbutt him. Okay, make an athletics check. I guess with advantage because you're raging. 19. Okay, you do. <laughs> Quick as a flash. So tell me what this looks like, right? As the rage bubbles up inside you. And even Vinash, I think, stirs in your soul a little and like crackles to life inside you, summoned by your anger. Yeah, uh, it's like, I, I don't think there was a storm brewing overhead, but it's like the, like the sound is like a like a huge peal of lightning and thunder as like their head as their heads collide it just makes this insane sound i think that probably the other party could probably hear uh as like oka just like knocks and like headbutts and then like knees like knee up into the gut and then like elbow to the other side and then they break out of the fucking chains okay are you trying to deal damage yes try to deal damage Okay, so why don't you roll your weapon damage? Uh, based on that, just roll it. Because that was a successful attack, I'm going to roll. 21 points of damage with no rights active? Okay, so here's the thing about these shitty nobles, right? Uh, they're like raised to sword fight, but they're not warriors. They're not soldiers. They're regular. They're basically regular people who might know a spell or two, right? Or like might know, might have proficiency in longsword, right? So you kind of kick the shit out of him. Like a little bit. You bang him on the head. He goes, ah, oh, and like you knee him, oh, and then like you kick him and he's, oh, right? And immediately like the guards are, you break the shackles overhead, right? Do your wings come out or like, are you trying to get out of there? Uh, I don't think the wings come out immediately, but I am gonna try to summon Dream Hunter to my hand like the emperor did. So you know that that sword fucking hates you, right? So, <laughs> but is... does it hate me less than it hates him? <laughs> I think there's a moment where you're like reaching your hand out, right? Almost like 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 Professor X trying to move something telepathically. You're reaching your hand out in the middle of all this chaos, and like your eyes fall on Dream Hunter, which are like still in like the captain's outstretched palms, and you see the scabbard vibrate just a little, like it quivers, it quivers. You feel the weave, like you're trying to like, with the weave pulling you toward it and it toward you. But before anything more can happen, like the guards descend upon you, right? They like rip like Prince Mo away from you. They like descend upon you. Like they like, like knock you to the ground. Like they've like tackled you completely. And like, boom, as you like fall to the ground, you look up and you see Queen Mo staggering aside. He's bleeding profusely from his nose. You've probably broken it. You know, he's like wheezing. You've almost definitely cracked a rib or two. You know what I mean? And like, he's got like, he's like stumbling on like a, like a sprained or like a bad ankle now or something. Like the guards are like all holding him and his retinue are like, ah, like they're like screaming and like flocking to him. You, 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 you monster. Fuck you. You always were afraid of me. Now you have good reason to be. Uh, uh, 
Captain Tian! Take this thing to... to the Emperor. And, and, and tell Mother Father. Tell Mother Father what... what they did to my face! Okay, you know, they kind of, like, shake... They're still technically raging since it lasts a while, so they, like... Are kind of like a uh okay, gonna nerd out here a little bit. You know the scene in Spirit, the movie, the horse movie, the horse movie, right? When it's all the ropes and it's like just running again. Yeah, it's kind of anyway, we don't have to get into it. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it's like a moment, like it takes like four or five big burly like palace guards to hold you back, right? It takes like the strength of like five men, right, to like hold to hold this horse whose spirit will break, you know, like as you're like, oh, like on the ground and try to struggle up and like Prince Moore reels away from you in horror. <sighs> and he's like kind of whimpering, you know what I mean? Like, cause you you basically kicked the shit out of him. <laughs> he was not expecting that. So he's kind of whimpering and he's like like limping away from you. Uh you've definitely like embarrassed him, right? And he's like <laughs> I'll be there for the execution. I will laugh when your head rolls down the steps. That's what they all say. <sighs> and like her, their their retinue like ushers Prince Mo away, like back into like mommy's court. You know what I mean? He like retreats back to Queen Mulian's like courtyard. Uh, and you're like rested, like like ripped back up from the ground. Now your body's all covered in dust as some of Prince Mo's blood is like on you. And you're still covered in the blood from like a uh, halo scrying bowl all the way back. And they like clasp new shackles uh, over your hands and they like shove you forward to walk. Off we go. And I think on that, as on real Oka being shoved forward to walk, we cut to fake Oka, Doka being shoved forward to walk uh, as like, so, like, multiple guards are flanking your small procession now, right? Like, no fewer than eight guards on each side are, like, flanking you. And they're sort of, like, getting up in your personal space. And even though, like, um, uh, Manaya, Rev, and V are the closest to Doka, like, several guards have cut in and are also, like, muscling Doka along to make sure, like, no funny business happens. Uh, and the guards are all, like, several of them can't resist, like, looking down at you, Doka. Uh, and like their eyes, like through through their helms, are sort of like looking at you wide, and they look away when you look back. But like a couple of them are staring pretty openly, with like looks of like disgust, and like looks of like hatred, and looks of like fear as well in their eyes. I give them that look of disgust right back, seeing which one of us will break gaze first. Yeah, it's always you, right? Like something about embodying Doka makes you feel braver than you usually. Than you actually are, I think. Uh, so, like, walking, like, these guards, like, look away from you. You win the staring contest each time. And this hobgoblin person eventually stops at the base of, like, a guard tower, sort of, like, built into the slumbering palace. Um, and V, you overhear them talking to someone stationed at the bottom, and you overhear a snatch of, well, What do you mean Captain Zian isn't here? Where is she? Didn't you hear? The gong went off. The prisoner. What? No, the prisoner's right here. And there's like a moment of confusion as like stuff is getting lost in communication. What do the three of you do? V. Oh, shoot. Get real now. Uh, I think V casts message. Uh, technically, I can't do it simultaneously to a bunch of people. So I'm just going to like one at a time, just go through the group and be like, the Manaya, um, something maybe we... Um, we might be in trouble. Manaya messages back. We're surrounded. We can't make a fuss, but be ready for anything. 
And I think Manaya uh, slowly unsheaths her axe, which I don't think was disguised, and sort of uh, starts joining the other gods, other gods, other guards, and uh, pro- poking and prodding uh, Oka forward as sort of a, an excuse to have her axe at the ready. And uh, after that, uh, V's going to message Rev to be like, things might be going down soon. It's maybe Oka's already here? Uh, like, V's like still trying to listen to like, all this commotion that, like, there's something going on. Do you loop, loop Doka in? Wait, Doka, you have comprehend languages cast, right? So you know what they're saying. Yeah, I'm also uh, communicating telepathically with V, and you just hear Dewey's voice cut in, like, what the fuck are we gonna... Is Do we not beat Oka here? What are we doing? V cast message back to, to Doka and be like, you're doing great. You're, keep it up. Just keep scowling. You're spit once in a while. You're, you're doing fantastic. Don't worry about a thing. This is, this is fine. Everything is fine. We're not freaking out right now, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, V's like freaking out. As V definitely freaks out, I think like tension mounts. As you see, like I, the captain and the lieutenant right at the base of the tower, like their voice is lower and they both turn to you and like, oh God, this is not good news. Like the captain has like a really, like sorry, the hobgoblin person has a really dark look on their face. They like start going for their weapon and like also the, like they, they start like reaching for their weapons, not just at Doka, but toward your group. And right before like the storm breaks, right? You're like, oh shit, we've been found out that we're imposters, like something bad's gonna happen. You all hear a voice in two. So Doobie and V, you know what it says, go, excuse me. And all of the guards pause and turn as striding out from like this beautiful hedge maze, right, is a snow-colored tiefling. She's got this kind of like pinkish undertone to her skin and these like like pink eyes and a very soft face and build all around. Like the best way to describe her is just soft, right? Um, And these white horns extend from her forehead and connect at the top uh, to sort of form a halo uh, above her head. And she's wearing these like deep silver and blue robes and her tail is uh, topped with this like white poof ball, like this white fluff, almost like a lion's tail. Uh, But the tail itself is also like pinkish snow colored. Uh, and she's like accompanied by like a retinue, similar to like Prince Mo was. And immediately every guard like like bows, you know, in in like deference as she approaches, and like they like lower their hands from their weapons to bow. That's quite all right. Um, might I? And she like gestures toward Doka, and like the the guards immediately nod and step aside. But the hobgoblin captain says, oh, "Pardon me for speaking out of turn, dream prophet." But what we have in our possession, I believe, is is a falsehood, is an illusion, a mirage. They're not the real. And the dream prophet raises a hand and says, This was foreseen. Don't worry. This was supposed to happen. Why don't the four of you and no one else follow me? Hmm? And the guards are, like, looking at each other because no one talks back to the dream prophet, Right? Uh, are you sure? Dream touched. Uh, I don't know if... Do you doubt my accuracy? No, 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 certainly not. Uh, Of course not. That's... I wouldn't mean. I wouldn't dare. Then there's nothing to worry about. These four mean, mean me and you no harm. And rest assured, that is the real 
prints you have in your possession, so I myself will escort them to the Emperor. Of course, uh, but please, I must insist, we have to send a, a retinue of guards with you. No, that won't be necessary. Please, follow me. Uh, and this pink-skinned, snow-colored tiefling turns and begins to walk. And the guards step away from your group to allow you to follow. Uh, I think V, uh, as she starts to move past the guards, looks at the captain and is like, You know, we captured wild boars out in the forest before. I'm sure we can handle whatever lion might be stalking us. You're lucky the dream touches on your side. I don't know what sort of madness you think your group is up to, but once the Emperor gets wind of this, no sins will go unpunished. Well, I just wanted to warn you that there was this elf with a green tie and wild white hair going around impersonating the prince, so perhaps you should look into that. And V, like, follows uh, this person, this tiefling, into wherever they lead us. Okay. And I think as we, like, like take, like, a more bird's eye view of the palace, we see two different retinues. Uh, the dream touched this white tiefling person leading the four of our non-Oka PCs and Oka being led by, like, a, a squadron of guards. I think it's, like, doubled since since the altercation with Prince Mo. And you're coming from different directions, but you're both converging upon the palace, uh, the central pa palatial complex in the very heart of the slumbering palace where, where the emperor resides, right? And I think there are two different entrances in into the palace, so I don't think you meet until you reach the throne room. So going up these massive steps, like uh, on the west wing, uh, we see Dewey, Manaya, V, and Rev, accompanied by the dream touched, right? The, uh, the dream prophet going up the steps along with her little like dream re retinue. And then on the east wing, we see Oka surrounded by like dozens of guards, like led by Captain Zian, who's still holding dream hunter reverently, who has stopped quivering since your altercation with Prince Moa. And we see like almost in like a split screen, these two parties like entering the same place, right? And we see like close-ups of each like party member's face of like different expressions and tensions knotted on your brow as you like step inside like the central atrium of this palace and both parties like go through these like winding halls these open air courtyards these beautiful like spherical floating um lakes filled with fish swimming inside magic and the weave just humming to life all around you and something striking both of you both parties in the wake of the cataclysm, magic was ripped from like 50% or something of all spellcasters in Andake. And those who are lucky enough to have magic remain are finding that their magic may be finite. Any day your magic might expire. But there's so much of it here. The weave is humming to life. It's like guitar strings being strummed here. It's everywhere. And it all originates from the throne room. And as two different doors to the throne room open at the same time. All five of you, including Rev, see that the throne room of her imperial majesty, daughter of heaven, lord of 10,000 years, the dream blessed. This room is divine. 
eight blue pillars made of pure sapphire support the tall arched ceiling on either side of the hall. A squadron of no fewer than 16 elite royal guard stands between the pillars draped in chain and plate mail, holding these long, heavy pole arms topped with wicked blades. Gray light filters into the space through these latticed windows, and the floor here is made of polished black stone. The very back of the hall, 80 feet away from both parties is the throne itself. It sits on an elevated platform with stairs carved from obsidian marble leading up to its zenith. The throne itself is sculpted from pure silver and fanning out from behind it are four statues that form a halo around the head of the throne. You see a carving of a dragon, a tortoise, a phoenix, and a telian. And sitting on the throne, illuminated by a pillar of light shining through a nearby window, is the Emperor. She wears robes of deep royal blue threaded through with silver embroidery. Her face is shielded by a cloth that hangs from the brim of her crown. So you can't see what she looks like. But as soon as you look at her, as soon as you register her presence, you realize that her existence is just exerting this pressure, almost like you're at the bottom of the ocean, like threatening to crush you, right? Similar to the god shards of Yudabathi, the Raven Queen, and Skad and Nectus, when you lay eyes on her, the weave just tightens around your skin, around your soul. It's like oxygen is vacating the air and threads of a magical force are bearing down on all of you. Sweat starts beating on your skin, your heart start pumping faster, harder as though you were in the presence of a predator. That's when both parties enter, doors on either side, the doors close, and you see each other from across the throne room. As Manaya's eyes meet the eyes of the guards, and then the real Oka, the flower bud, slowly and silently blooms and withers. Podcast editing is by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Azara, Bradley, Brookbright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Later, Marvelous, Purple Mouse, Scruffisus, and Target.